Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, hey, great to see everybody. I want to welcome you to Liquid. My name's Tim, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new to Liquid, I probably should let you know, we're one church, but we meet in multiple locations around New Jersey through the magic of broadcast video. So we have people who are watching. Would you give them a big welcome? We're glad you're with us. Or if you're watching online, glad you're here for week two of our series, Soul Pathways, in which we're talking about the different ways that Christians are wired to connect with God. And last week, I introduced you to six different spiritual temperaments, what we're calling soul pathways. And we described that on a custom bookmark, pretty cool, that we actually put in your program today. So if you take a program out, open it up, you'll actually see you got it in there. So if you wanted an extra, there it is. If you weren't here, it's easy to catch up. If you don't have a program, raise your hand. Our ushers will be happy to pass one to you. But if you take a look at that, you'll see the six pathways. And what we did is provided at the very bottom, did you see that? There's an online assessment uh, that you can take. It's five minutes. It's free, very easy. It's located at liquidchurch.com slash soul. And what that does is it's going to tell you your top three spiritual pathways. How many of you took that quiz this, uh, this week? You took time to do that a little bit? Cool. I'd be curious to know what you have. In fact, let me kind of go through these and you can um, uh, let me know by raising your hand if this was you. The first temperament was the activist who loves God by serving the poor and powerless. How many identified with the activists? You're like, I love to help, to serve, awesome. Activists love to care for the down and out. You feel close to God when you're serving the poor and the needy. The second one is contemplative, who loves God in silence and solitude. So in other words, if you're given a choice, you'd prefer to have quiet time uh, alone, maybe, you know, uh, meditating, reading the Bible, spending time with God, but alone. How many of you identify with the contemplative, okay? Withdraw from the world rather than draw close to God. Third one was the naturalist. This was in my top three here who connects with God outdoors. How many naturalists in here? Natural. Oh, okay, there's it all is. That's what I can tell from the flip-flops and the sneakers, right? You love going outside. Uh, when you feel close to God, maybe you go for a walk in the woods, a jog on the beach. Nothing draws you into God's presence like being in the presence of nature. And uh, well, here's a fun news. Since, you know what? Since we have so many naturalists, let's do this. We're going to cancel the service and go down the shore right now. Are you ready to do that? Uh, just kidding. Stay seated. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we're going to do liquid at the shore again next year at this time, because I know some of you have it on your bucket list to get baptized in 50-degree water. I know that's a serious issue. I did hear from one naturalist in our congregation. She said, uh, you know, Tim, she goes, it's kind of funny. I always felt guilty for counting my morning jog as part of my quiet time. But then she said, I realize there's a reason I find it easier to pray when I'm outside with my eyes open because when I'm in creation, my heart kind of opens up. And sometimes she says, when I walk or run, I'm listening to worship music or singing, I'll pray. And when I come back, my heart just feels like more connected to the heart of God. That's the idea, guys. The idea of a soul pathway is so liberating because it honors, it honors the way that God wired you to worship. Every person in this room has a unique spiritual temperament that's as unique as your fingerprint. It's different for all of you. You're different than her. She's different than you. And, uh, and that's okay because God created us with diversity. Think of it if you're a parent. I've got kids, right? My two kids are wired completely differently. But as their father, I love them equally, of course. And my great joy is when they try to share their love for me in, in their native language. For instance, my daughter Chase is a bookworm. 
She like loves to read. She loves to conversate, talk about ideas. Daddy, you know, to kill a mockingbird, what did you think about that? And I'm like, okay. And we sit down and talk about it. And my son Dell's like, I want to go fishing. He has to be outside with a pole in his hands on the water. And that's awesome. Because as a father, I love spending time with each of them in the environment that makes their heart come alive. Same idea with your heavenly father. You're his child, and he created your soul to naturally gravitate towards certain things. And so the invitation is to discover that and then leverage that pathway to build your relationship with him. Amen? Now, if you read or you debate ideas about faith, you may be an intellectual, which is loving God with the mind. This was actually in the top five pathways in our congregation. We have, in fact, a woman uh, in, our, in our church here who serves as director of Ratio Christi at Rutgers University. And Ratio Christi is a Christian apologetics organization, and they equip Rutgers students with rational reasons and credible evidence for their Christian beliefs. So her job is to introduce Christian philosophers and thinkers, and she hosts lectures and debates that offer credible answers to skeptics and agnostics who question the truth claims of Christianity. Very, very cool ministry, but led by an intellectual Christ follower uh, at Rutgers. She actually holds her master's in Christian apologetics and just started her PhD program. So remember, to be a Christian doesn't mean you got to check your brain at the door, okay? God, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and what? Your mind, all right? Now, speaking of your brain, how many of you are right-brained? Raise your hand if your pathway was a sensate. Sensate is loving God through music, arts, the senses. We combine that with the enthusiast. Again, this is a top three response at Liquid. Uh, if you're drawn into um, uh, to God by the, by the sights and the sounds that stimulate your soul, you like to make music or, you know, paint or sing or dance or draw or visual design, God gave you this gift of creativity, and it is a way to worship him. I was actually talking with one guy who said to me, uh, you know, what's funny, Tim, is I feel closest to God when I play my guitar alone in my room. He said, sometimes I'll just be playing, you know, chords of a worship song, or I come across a riff that just moves me to tears. And I was like, that's because you're a sensate. Your faith is multi-sensory, in his case, musical. And then finally, last one, do we have any traditionalists in the house? Any traditionalists? <laughs> it was last on the list in our church, Okay. <laughs> Just acknowledging that. One guy in the back is like, here, here. Uh, good man, you know? <laughs> Loving God through ritual, sacraments, and symbols. You're so excited we sang a hymn today, right? You're like, that was awesome. A hymn, I love it. Uh, you wish we did communion every Sunday instead of once a series, but that's awesome. I just love that you have found a home at Liquid because even though we're a younger church, we really are trying to do our best to integrate the historic roots of our faith in a modern way. We kind of want to have this ancient future faith and hold fast to our core beliefs, but reimagine them for the next generation. As you can see, six different pathways in all. And if you didn't take that online assessment, you still have time. It's not too late. Just go, again, go on our website, completely free, liquidchurch.com soul. Take you five or 10 minutes. It will confirm what your dominant pathway is. And my guess is going to open you up to some few newer options because most believers, this is a secret, most believers have a blend of two or more. And I hope it's going to open you to the idea of trying the others. Because the big idea of this series is that we're trying to expand our spiritual diet this summer. We're trying to find different ways to feed and nourish our soul so that your times of connecting with Jesus don't grow stale or routine, but have fresh vitality in your everyday journey. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk just very briefly about the first two pathways on your bookmark, and that is the activist on one hand and the contemplative on the other. 
Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, I get it, right, opposites, right? They're opposite temperaments. Like activists are people who, well, they're, they're, they've put their faith into action. They're all about, you know, you know, flurry of activity. They don't spend a lot of time in quiet reflection, you know, like contemplatives on the state of their inner soul. A lot of people think contemplatives, you know, they're like, are those like monks? You know, like monks who like live in a monastery, right? Like super serious religious people who take strict vows of like poverty and silence. <laughs> it reminds me of the joke about the man who wanted to get close to God um, by becoming a monk. So he goes to his local monastery. He talks with the head monk, and the head monk says, well, it's, it's very hard. You have to take a vow of silence, and you only get to speak two words every 10 years. And the guy said, okay. So he works for 10 years, fasting, praying, and the head monk comes and says, okay, end of 10 years, what are your two words? <laughs> and, he, and he said, food bad. <laughs> all right. 10 more years go by, the guy works, prays, fasts, all that. 10 years later, head monk says, all right, you've earned two more words. What's your, what's your words? And the man said, bed hard, <laughs> right? Uh, you sure you want to do this? Yeah, 10 more years. Uh, 30 years go by, what are your two words this year? And the man said, I quit, <laughs> right? The head monk said, well, I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here, you know, kind of. <laughs> Contemplatives are not complainers. Uh, they're not monks, but they are often misunderstood, uh, especially by activists who are all about action and serving, going out in the world, you know, working in the inner city and helping others. And in contrast, contemplatives can seem like they live this inner world of reflection that's opposed to the outer world of action. But the truth is mature and growing Christians need room to balance both pathways in their spiritual walk. And today, I want to show you a passage from uh, the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 10, in fact, in your Bible, where Jesus meets two sisters. And one is an activist, and the other is a contemplative. Anybody know the names of these girls? There is Martha and her sister Mary. Let's look what the Bible says and what we can learn. This is Luke chapter 10. We'll start at verse 38. Here's what God's Word says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who did what? Say this together, church. Sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It sounds like sisters, right? <laughs> Martha, Martha, Jesus answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. Fascinating encounter with Jesus, right? Two sisters, same family, but two completely different ways of worshiping Jesus. I mean, what would you do if I told you right now, like, hey, Jesus is in town, and he's coming to your house for lunch today? right? So you'd be like, serious? You'd be, you'd be like, look at your car keys. You would peel out of this service. You'd go speeding home. You might stop at the grocery store. I mean, it's Jesus. You're not going to order pizza. Uh, you know, you got to prepare a nice, nice meal. You'd be like, oh, you know, how many disciples are coming? You know, how many of them are? 12, 12? No, no, one may not make it. Okay, 11, you know, kind of whatever. You'd clean the house, right? Jesus is coming. Get the magazines off the floor, you know, uh, put a Bible on the table, you know, uh, thing. <laughs> Light a Yankee candle, you know, I hope you like cinnamon, you know, okay. Uh, that's what Martha's doing here, right? The Son of God is dropping in for lunch, and the, him and the disciples are on their way, and Martha's an activist, right? 
So she like swings into action. She's this flurry of activity in the kitchen. She's putting out plates. She's cooking activist, right? But now watch this. Where is her sister Mary? Where's Mary? Take a look again. This is verse 39. It says, Mary did what? She sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Ah, everything good in there, Martha? Good. I'm just going to spend time with Jesus. Wow, he's making a ruckus in there. How are you, Jesus? Right? Right? You understand? Mary is a contemplative. Do you understand why Martha gets all jacked up? <laughs> two sisters, two totally different spiritual temperaments. It's actually kind of funny. It says, but, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She actually came to Jesus and asked, this is hilarious. Imagine she's talking to God, Jesus, so she's like praying, right? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Just a word of caution. When you find yourself commanding Jesus <laughs> to make others work harder, <laughs> this is not a winning prayer, okay, right? So there's a tension here, right? There's a tension. There's something to celebrate in each woman. On the one hand, you have Marcia, who's an activist. Marcia, 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 Marcia. Martha. <laughs> she has a gift of hospitality. She's been a gracious host. She's just trying to make Jesus and disciples feel welcome. But on the other side, you have Mary, who's a contemplative, and she's sitting at Jesus' feet, which, by the way, is not significant. This is actually the posture in the first century of a learner. If a respected rabbi came to town, you would actually sit at his feet as a way of honoring and revering him, and you would sit there listening, hanging on every word because you said he has the words of life. If I follow him, my life will be enriched. So she says, I'm just here in Jesus' presence, and I don't care what we're going to eat because all I need is his words to nourish my soul. It's such an interesting contrast here. And finally, Jesus basically speaks between the two sisters and he cuts the tension. He says, Martha, Martha, you are what? What's those words? Worried and upset about a lot of stuff. You're cranked. But a few things are needed. Indeed, only one. And your sister Mary has chosen what's better and it won't be taken away from her. Now, what does Jesus mean? Because it's easy to interpret this wrongly. You may be like, oh, I get it. I see what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Mary, you shouldn't be such an activist. I prefer contemplatives. Uh-uh-uh-uh. That's how some people may interpret it. But if you did, you'd be making a mistake. Because Jesus rebukes Martha, not for serving him, but for judging Mary. <laughs> He's like, you are totally judging. You don't appreciate your sister's pathway. And he's saying, just take, a, just take a minute. Instead of judging her, would you look at your own soul, Mary? Look at you. You are a flurry of activity. You are worried and upset. You are distracted. You are angry with your sister. Martha, this isn't why I came to your house. In fact, this isn't even why I came to this world to add things to your to-do list. I have come to give you life, abundant life, life to the full. And if you would just stop and pause and slow down, and quiet your soul long enough to hear me, I will actually speak to you. And you'll sense my love and my mercy. And that, my girl, is the one thing you really need. So here's a secret, guys. The most well-rounded, mature followers of Christ, they have a balance of both pathways before they swing into action and start maniacally, you know, doing things for Jesus, we actually cultivate our inner world of listening to him, of coming to rest in God's presence, basking in his love and allowing his grace, his soft eyes of forgiveness to remind us that, you know what? 
we are not just human doings. We are human beings with a soul, made in God's image. As St. Augustine said in his wonderfully contemplative prayer, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So you guys, there's a balance between serving Jesus and knowing Jesus, between our doing and our being. And Christ is trying to teach these sisters and us how to do this, practice our faith in the correct order. Before we can accomplish anything of worth in God's eyes, whether it's preparing a meal for our friends and family, feeding the homeless on the streets of Newark, we have to spend time where? In his presence, listening to what he says. See, the best activists, people who serve the poor and the powerless, the catalyst for their faith into action is they spent time first receiving the love and the nourishment and grace of God. And then it's the overflow of their devotional time spent in his presence. I think I told you last week, I'm an activist by nature. It's one of my top three pathways. We combined activists and caregiver together. It's all about caring for people. And Liquid is an activist church. I love that about our church. I love that our heartbeat as a church is to serve the poor. It's to feed the hungry. It's to care for children with special needs. It's to bring clean water to thirsty children all the way on the other side of the world, right? I love that about our church. But before we do any of that activism, just says, did you skip something? Because only one thing's needed. <laughs> the love of Christ, which comes not to a soul that's all about frenetic activity, but in quiet retreat. In stolen moments of silence and solitude, when we become aware, actually, of our inner poverty. Yeah, this kid's poor, but so am I. This kid's thirsty, so am I. And I wake up dry every morning. And I need the Holy Spirit to come and refresh me and replenish my soul so I could do anything of use for my wife, for my kids, for my coworkers. See, the best ministry only comes out of a soul that is freshly filled with the Holy Spirit, not the worried energies of the flesh. Remember, Martha, only one thing's needed. Time in my presence. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture in your head Mary right now. What is she doing? Mary is sitting in front of Jesus at his feet, She's receiving ministry from God before she serves others in his name. Do you do that? I mean, how does that look in real life? How does that look? Because as an activist by nature, I know my greatest sin, my greatest temptation, honestly, every day is that I would wake up and rush into that day under my own strength. That's why you have to build contemplative practices into your daily rhythm to connect your heart with Jesus first so that you can love others well. And here is something I do to do that. I'm gonna share with you a secret, all right? Taking a risk this morning. I'm going to share with you my super secret place that I often go to meet with God. It's actually a location. It's a place I visit on um, a regular occasion. Um, it's only five minutes from where we are in this building. But this is where I go to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to what he says. And it's one of my favorite places to push away from the world so that I can draw close to Christ. Check this out. When I want to get alone with God, I often visit one of my favorite places, Loyola Retreat House in Morristown, New Jersey. Loyola is a Jesuit retreat center located on 30 acres of beautiful lawns, manicured gardens, and woods. It was founded in 1927 as a place for contemplative prayer and silent retreat. And over the decades, thousands of Christians have come here to experience God in a fresh way. 
We live crazy busy lives here in the Northeast, and it can be a powerful thing to just leave the crowds and the noise behind to spend time alone with God. As contemplative Christians, it's really seeking to experience the heart of God through the power of solitude and silence. A silent retreat is a good way to cultivate the quiet so you can hear God's voice above the noise of everyday life. It's kind of like Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said. When you spend time in contemplation, your heart slows down, your mind opens up, and you can sense the promptings or voice of the Holy Spirit. Even just an hour or two spent in a park or a garden by your home or your office can refresh your soul like nothing else. Historically, contemplative Christians from the Orthodox branch of the Christian Church have used three kinds of prayer or spiritual exercises to draw close to the heart of God. The first is called the Jesus Prayer, and it's taken straight from Scripture. It goes like this, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. By reciting it slowly, your soul is reminded of everything that's true, that Jesus is God's son, that we are sinners and we need his mercy. When we know who we are and who he is, our soul finds rest. I sometimes say the Jesus prayer when I feel anxious before a big meeting or a message and I don't know what to pray. It makes me humbly reliant on Jesus and lets me admit my weaknesses and ask for God's help. second kind of prayer is called centering prayer. Centering prayer has been a staple of Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic traditions, as well as many Protestants. In centering prayer, you choose a single word to focus on, like Father or Jesus, joy or love. And as your mind strays, you repeat the word as a way of bringing your focus, your thoughts back to Christ. And as you focus on God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your soul senses his presence and finds rest in his love. Don't worry, this isn't some Jedi mind trick. Early Christians and spiritual fathers like Ignatius of Loyola have been practicing this kind of contemplative prayer for centuries. Centering prayer is more of a being prayer than a doing prayer. The goal isn't to get an answer from God or wrestle with him. It's simply to sense his presence and allow his love to quiet us. Loyola Retreat House features Stations of the Cross. It's a beautiful walk through the woods that highlight the key events during the crucifixion of Jesus. Throughout history, Christians have walked the Stations of the Cross to contemplate on the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus receives his cross. Jesus falling. Christ dying on the cross. Walking the Stations of the Cross is a literal way to step away from the pace of our world and spend time gazing on our Savior. You don't always need a whole 24 hours to be refreshed spiritually. Just an afternoon outdoors works wonders. Whatever you do, be intentional every day, every week, every month. Remember, when we push away from the world, we're able to draw close to Christ.
Such a beautiful place, right? I know, yeah, real cool. Thank you to the people at Loyola Retreat House. Uh, I know some people are like, that's New Jersey? That looks like Downton Abbey, right? It's amazing. Uh, Loyola Retreat House became my secret place of prayer about five years ago. Uh, I, it's not a secret anymore, I guess. Uh, I debated whether to tell you because I'm like, now you're all going to show up, uh, you know? Um, but five years ago, I was facing some pretty big ministry decisions. I was out driving one afternoon. I was like, I just need to meet with God somewhere. And I saw this sign, Loyola House of Retreats. And it's a Jesuit retreat house, which, which is Catholic. And so I went to the front desk and said, hey, uh, I'm, actually, I'm a follower of Christ, um, but I'm Protestant, but I really need somewhere to meet with God. And they said, hey, welcome, brother. We love Jesus. You love Jesus. You're welcome here. And I just spent the afternoon walking, uh, you know, in the garden, talking, praying, listening to worship music, meditating on scripture. Such a rich, a calming experience. God actually convicted me about some prideful thoughts I'd been wrestling with. I enjoyed a time of kind of quiet confession. My thoughts gained clarity, and I felt I like left like a new man. And my, why? Because my soul, my soul, worried and upset, distracted, found rest. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so I just kept going back, even stayed there overnight. They actually have over 100 rooms in the main mansion house there. And you can take a full silent retreat, 24 hours a whole week. And I don't do that often, but I do retreat daily, whether it's at Loyola or some other place, just to spend time alone with Jesus. Because that's where I get my marching orders in silence and solitude. That's where I, I learn what, what does he want me to preach on. That's where I learn how do you want me to love my family. He often convicts me of stuff I need to change in my relationships as a father, as a friend with my family. And most importantly, it's just where God's a father to me. I'm not Pastor Tim. I'm just Tim. I'm one of God's kids. Because we all need a daddy, even if you're an activist. See, if you are a contemplative by nature, you intuitively get this. You're like, you're tracking with me. You're like, absolutely. I would not dream of going into a day without spending time first basking in God's love. It's your main identity as a child of God. But here's the deal. For a lot of us Christians, we're very spiritual on Sunday, but secular Monday through Friday, right? We get up in the morning, we're like, go, guzzle some coffee, blah, 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 you know? Rush off to work, away we go. Maybe a quick prayer while we're driving, help Jesus, you know, kind of thing like that. Or before a big meeting, but there's, there's no deep abiding peace. You know what I'm talking about? There's no fresh filling of the Holy Spirit that will give you the supernatural patience you need when you encounter someone prickly at work. You don't, you don't have anything to draw on when you have to give mercy for somebody who makes a mistake. Instead, you just give them default judgment. You don't have forgiveness to draw on for an enemy who hurts you. That's what contemplative prayer is for. When you quiet your heart, God opens his, and he shapes your soul in silence if you allow the time. But the question is this, how do you have a merry heart when we live in a Martha world? Answer, you retreat every day. It does not have to be at a monastery or someplace fancy. It may be your basement. It may be your patio. If you have kids, you may have to lock yourself in the bathroom before the kids even get up, you know? But you pull away to be with Jesus in quiet so that he can prayer your heart for the day ahead. Guys, this is not something new. This is actually very ancient. This is the devotional model of Jesus himself. Scripture says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he did what? He prayed. He talked with his father. And there are all sorts of ways to pray, as you saw in the video. One way I like to pray is actually with a journal, because sometimes when I pray, I don't know about you, my thoughts are very busy. They start to jump around my head, and I'm like, I just, there's so much, blah, 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 I'm always talking kind of thing. And so as a way of centering my soul, I'll actually say, you know, Holy Spirit, quiet my mind so I can say something true out of my soul, something true to God. 
and then I'll actually write my prayers out in my journal by longhand. Sometimes I'll, uh, you know, I have, I have journals and journals of this, but prayers that I have prayed over the years, and some of them, I was looking through them this morning, I'm like, some of them are about when it, moments where I felt very weak or very confused about something in my life or my leadership. I needed clarity, you know, in my, uh, you know, church leadership, or I, I needed strength in my marriage or for parenting. And often than not, typically after about 15, 20 minutes of writing out my prayers, I experienced the miracle of Martha. <laughs> what is that? I'm not so distracted by all the, you know, all the things, all the preparations that have to be made, all the emails waiting for me, all the calls I need to return. I'm no longer worried and upset about you know, construction delays or meetings waiting when I get to work. Instead, I actually arrive at the office prayed up, which means my heart is filled. My soul is actually centered. It's anchored in Christ. And I'm able to offer the best me, the Holy Spirit-filled Tim, to those who I'm going to ser serve with that day. See, guys, this is the secret. Your vertical relationship with God always impacts our horizontal relationship with others. And that's the big idea. Only once you retreat with Jesus do you let the inner activist out of the cage. See, that's the second side of the equation, you can't just stay cloistered up. Then you have to put your faith back into action. Again, how many of you have a bias for action? You go out, you see the sick and the hurting, and you're like, man, Jesus, we got to do something about this. You see the homeless people around Penn Station. You see the single parent who doesn't have a car that works or an abused woman or a forgotten child. You're like, God, we've got to do something about this. That's the activist caregiver temperament, and it's beautiful. It's one of the ways we reflect the compassion of Christ in our world to, by showing his love to the down and out. And what's so cool is I'm reading it this week and I'm looking at Martha and Mary here in, in Luke 10. And right before Jesus visits their house, he tells his probably most famous story, the parable of the good what? The good Samaritan. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but basically a guy comes up to Jesus. He says, hey, what's it mean to love your neighbor? And Jesus tells a story about a man who takes a road trip from Jericho to Jerusalem. And on the way he gets mugged. He's actually jumped by a gang, and they strip him, beat him, stab him, and leave him for dead. That's actually an immigrant in, in Mozambique who actually received that kind of treatment. And at the same moment, that same moment, Jesus is like, okay, so the guy's left for dead in the road. And suddenly, a pastor comes walking down the street, right? And you're like, yay, church pastor. And he says, but he saw the guy, and he walked to the other side of the street. He didn't want to get involved. And then he says, then a Levite came down. That was kind of a, a, a worker at the temple, another religious person, very devout. And what does he do? He passes by too. And here's the punchline. Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when we saw him, he took pity on him. A Samaritan was like a despised group of, of people who are thought to be like half-breeds. It's, it's very much like a Muslim, Western or a Muslim kind of tension today. But imagine this. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine, which were an antiseptic. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and what did he do? Took care of him. And Jesus says, which of these three guys you think really loved his neighbor? The guy's like, uh, the third one? And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In other words, a faith that isn't put into everyday action is really no faith at all. Because you and I live in a world surrounded by broken and beaten down people. People who lack the basics, medical care, food, shelter. There are people in our cities who are addicted. There are children with special needs who need love, parents who need support. And one of the ways 
We demonstrate our faith is getting out of our seats into the streets to serve them. We go and do likewise. Christ followers bandage wounds. We show compassion for our neighbors in need. And then we pour ourselves out in super practical ways. Guys, this is why we have a summer outreach. Because putting faith into action is a sole pathway that lets you exercise the compassion of Christ to your neighbors. So I want you to mark on your calendar, if you haven't signed up, July 15th and 16th. This is a Friday and a Saturday, and we are hosting an outreach at every Liquid campus to be a good Samaritan to our neighbors. And every outreach looks different. Some of you are going to get dirty because we're going to dive into construction and renovation projects for under-resourced families and schools. Think of like, you know, painting and carpentry and, and all that kind of stuff, gardening. Others will be working with, you know, uh, kids and families and teens. We're going to actually host a special needs festival on the grounds of our new broadcast campus in Parsippany. But these outreaches are just a great way for you to engage your inner activist and grow spiritually by serving others. Don't take my word for it. I want you to hear from two activists in our congregation of how this deepens their walk with Christ. The first time that I ever connected with God through service was when I served at a soup kitchen. And I remember leaving there with such compassion and joy in my heart that I knew that only God could do that. Only God could put that on my heart. When I did Cosmic Christmas, it was like a connection on a personal level where I saw not only the adults, but the kids there for Christ. When you work with special needs children, their needs really aren't special. Um, their needs are just like ours. They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to be cared for. They are cared for differently, but they're loved upon exactly the same way as, any, as anybody else. And when you get a smile or a hug, or you just know that you have made a difference. Not only do I see the kids and the other adults and everybody else taking part in serving Christ, because I'm there to help them along, I get a lot of fulfillment from that. You do feel blessed because God blesses you when you are serving His people. We are called to be the hands and feet of Christ. But on a personal level, you will just grow. Your heart will grow. You, your joy will grow. It's just the best feeling knowing that you have helped somebody and that you have really made a difference in their life. When you serve and you see you know, how it can impact other people, how it can impact children and adults, your friends, your family, it's a great feeling and everybody should do it. Patty and Jared. Jared's sitting over there. Can we give them both a hand? They do a great job. Praise God for you guys. They are just two of an army of activists who exercise their soul every week just by serving others. And so this July, we want to give everybody here the opportunity to expand your soul by serving your neighbors. All you have to do is register online. Again, everything's always on our website. So if you just go to liquidchurch.com slash, I believe it is summer outreach, uh, you get the idea. And you select the one you're interested in and you can choose the date, the time, and the role because it's really a powerful thing when the world, the non-believing world, sees followers of Jesus serving them sacrificially with no strings attached. So let me encourage you to serve with your life group or with your family. We've developed opportunities for both parents and kids to serve together. That's very powerful. There are roles for every age and stage. And this is how the world changes, guys. Now the giant bang, it's by serving one person, one community, one life at a time. See, again, you have to remember, we are part of a movement that began 2,000 years ago. And, and the Christian faith has this long and storied history of activists who out of their overflow of their time with Jesus said, we have to spend our lives to give a voice for the poor and the powerless. I think of William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was a Christian abolitionist 
who dedicated his whole life to eradicating the evil of slavery in England. And they were like, it's impossible. The whole economy is based on slavery. And he said, no, in my lifetime, we're gonna break through that. I think of Mother Teresa who looked behind the eyes of the sick and the dying in the slums of Calcutta. And she said, I see Jesus. And so I'm gonna spend my whole life serving the diseased and the dying as a way of serving Christ. I think of Martin Luther King Jr., who was a Christian preacher and an activist who heard, he read the gospel. He said, I hear Jesus calling me to confront the evils of racism and segregation and fight for civil rights. Guys, you are part of the church and the church has been at the heart of every positive major social development over the last 2000 years, amen? It's the church. It's the church who founded hospitals. It's the church who founded university. It's the church who's pulled the world out of the darkness of slavery, ignorance, poverty, and elevated women and championed the poor, okay? That's what you're a part of. You're part of that. See, activists are not the opposite of contemplatives. They are fueled by this, this deeply felt, soul-fed love and compassion and they say, I wanna do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do with his ministry? He fed the hungry. He cared for the poor. He healed the sick. And he proclaimed freedom for the captives. Guys, there are so many causes and social justice issues for Christians to engage with today. From global poverty to sex trafficking, it's kind of a form of modern day slavery, to the immigrant crisis to bring clean drinking water to the poorest of the poor. That's another opportunity you have this summer to engage your activist pathway. We have spots open on our trips to Nicaragua in August and in October. And this is one of the coolest things we do if you're new to our church, you gotta go on one of these trips. It will be the best thing you do all summer, I promise that. Again, all the details of this stuff are on our website. Just go to, to our website and click on clean water, you get the details. But let me challenge you. Mary sat listening to what Jesus said. What is Jesus saying to you today? What is, as you look at this, what is your next step today? What do you hear the voice of Jesus nudging you to do? Because if you look on your bookmark, you're going to see this menu of ideas. If you're a contemplative, maybe it's take a silent retreat at you know, Loyola or find your own sacred spot, okay? Maybe it's praying and fasting for 24 hours. You skip a meal so that you can develop a hunger for, for God's presence and feast on his word. Or maybe you buy a journal or a notebook tomorrow and you actually start writing out your prayers. If you're an activist, maybe you serve at the summer outreach. You say, you know what? We're, our whole group is going to go serve. And you know what? When you show up, please make sure you're prayed up, Okay? Or you go on a clean water trip. You say, I'm going to give part of my summer to go serve people who never have a vacation. And they're going to get clean water and the living water of Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, take it from Martha and take it from Mary. Make sure you have a balance of both in your spiritual diet. The outer world of doing and the inner world of being. Because Jesus is present in both worlds. Amen? And he's inviting your soul to draw close to him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I thank you so much, oh, Jesus, that you would come uh, to the house of Mary and Martha, God. And there's a lot of Marthas here today who are worried and upset and distracted, but God, you're, you're just inviting them. Come sit at my feet. Spend time with me. Let me pour into you and let your soul find rest. Holy Spirit, would you even speak to them now? Invite them in. You have no condemnation. You say you can start brand new this afternoon. You can start tomorrow. Come to me. Speak to them, Lord. Where they're feeling confusion or lack of clarity, speak, Father. You're very gracious. We ask, we seek, we knock. And then, Lord, those of us uh, who maybe are sitting on the sidelines, and this is a moment to take action. <laughs> maybe we've been feeling you nudging us, Lord, to a life of service 
or to some great cause, Lord, to be a voice for the voiceless. Father God, let that be us. We hear you today. We receive that from you. Father, I pray you'd bless our summer outreach, that everything that happens there would glorify Jesus. God, we pray that we'd be good Samaritans in a world where there's not a lot of kindness or grace, especially to our enemies. And Lord, I pray for our clean water teams. Lord, I thank you for the team that hit water this week. And I pray for the one that's going in August, Father, that you'll just bless them and people will come to Christ because of their compassionate service. We ask that all glory and everything we do goes to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.